0: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
1: Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need for the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
2: In most situations, 10 seconds is just a blip in time. But in Formula One, it's an eternity. In 2007, a single pit stop during the qualifying round of the Hungarian Grand Prix threatened to tear apart a team destined to be a top contender for the Formula 1 Constructors Championship. During the fuel burning phase of qualifying, when drivers turn up their cars for their fastest possible lap times, a young and hungry Lewis Hamilton ignored his team's request to let his teammate Fernando Alonso pass him. In the pit lane before the final runs of the qualifying session, the two-time driver's champion, Fernando Alonso, appeared to enact revenge on the audacious rookie, stalled his car for an extra 10 seconds, effectively blocking Hamilton's car in his crucial final lap. It's often acknowledged that as an F1 driver, your biggest competitor is your teammate. You're working with the same cars, the same team, and often the same directive. This kind of nemesis fuel is seen throughout the history of motorsport but perhaps none so recent and so toxic as the feud between Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. How did the rookie get under the champion's skin so easily? How did a pit stop threaten to destroy McLaren's relationship with Alonso? Did McLaren really ask Alonso to sit in the pit lane for 20 seconds total, enough time to stall the young Lewis Hamilton? Or did an irate Alonso decide to publicly lash out at the freshman driver who'd been stealing his thunder all season? Today on Pass Gas, it's a heavyweight bout between a two-time champion and a superstar rookie that shook the racing world. This is 2007. Fernando Alonso versus Lewis
3: Hamilton. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about
0: cars. It's not about ports.
3: Speaking of uh, improv team, Nemesis Fuel would be a sick improv team name.
1: Nemesis Fuel. I love that phrase. That's That's a great term. Nemesis juice would be the cute
3: version. Nemesis juice sounds like gross. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it sounds like a like
3: peach pineapple. <laughs> but like makes you like too drunk, like weird, argue drunk. Like
1: Yeah. Like some some frat boy comes into your party with like a Gatorade uh Tub uh-huh. and just starts mixing it in your kitchen, yeah. and he's got like Nemesis peach juice,
3: con- dude. Like, want to fight later? Yeah, yeah you want to fight later? It's like it's six parts peach peach concentrate, uh, two parts moonshine, one part Tito's vodka, meth.
1: <laughs> dude, I'm setting up the death ring in your backyard. <laughs> I got kettlebells. I got maces.
3: <laughs> it's got four packs of Nicorette. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dude, Justin, last time you were on Nemesis Fuel, you almost killed me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> dude, last time I was on Nemesis Fuel, I almost killed myself. <laughs> You're the one who got into the blimp with me, dude. You're the one who got into the blimp with me.
2: <laughs> well, welcome to Past Gas, everybody. I'm your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by my two other hosts. We got James Pumphrey.
3: That is the largest bird I've ever seen.
2: And Joe Weber.
3: Keep it juiced.
1: I feel like James's uh, random catchphrases really detract from my real catchphrase. (laughs) Yeah, we should start
3: introducing (laughs) Joe uh, first. Uh, Yeah, Fernando Alonso versus Hamilton. I don't remember. Like I haven't dug into this super deep. I'm curious to find out. Why Alonzo was beefing with Lin Manuel Miranda? <laughs> uh, I guess maybe he just hates rap. Maybe. He wanted
1: to be George Washington, and they gave him uh, uh, Lafayette. Oh, got it, got it. Is got Lafayette it. in
2: that that musical?
1: I think so. I'd have to check that out. Well, I didn't realize that Alexander Hamilton wrote a musical about himself. So yeah, he I, did. That's news to me.
3: Yeah, he was, yeah he wrote that was an autobiographical rap musical. <laughs> we should do the Hamilton musical, but it's Lewis Hamilton.
1: Yeah, I would love that. I'm not giving away my podium. <laughs>
3: I'm not giving away my podium.
1: <laughs> I think you need to listen to how Lewis Hamilton
3: talks before you he talks bust like out. This. And- No, he doesn't. (laughs) Yes, he does. He talks like this. He's like, hey, it's really good out there on the track. And it's really, I want to say thank you to my dad and Mercedes for helping me drive so fast. We argued about this last episode.
2: You guys are making him sound like Taika Watiti.
3: 2007 (laughs) was a big year for me versus Fernando Alonso. We're on the same team, but we don't get along. Nothing but respect for the guy, but he did store his car, and it made me want to karate chop All him.
2: Right. Well, he is British. All <laughs> right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Come on now. 2007 was a big year. Steve Jobs had announced the iPhone. Yeah! Britney Spears had her famed and now publicly understood uh, breakdown. Countries like Bulgaria and Romania hopped onto the freshly formed EU Keeping up with the Kardashians had debuted. We talked about that last week somehow. Finally, <laughs> yes. Nancy Pelosi became the first female speaker of the house. and Gas enter- queen! That's <laughs> queen energy. No, no, and the entertainment world was raving about Shrek the third. Actually, eh, that one.
1: That's the best one. The best one out of all of them.
2: Donkey. 2007 <laughs> was an especially <laughs> epic year if you're into Formula One. There were multiple controversies inside and outside of the paddock, but none as famous as the Spygate Scandal. McLaren's chief designer, Mike Coughlin, had been sent 780 pages worth of Ferrari design documentation from their former chief mechanic, Nigel Stepney, an obvious no-no in a sport dependent on proprietary design. Although both men were quickly fired by their respective teams, and an FIA investigation could find no evidence that the information leaked elsewhere, the Spygate Scandal rocked the paddock. Internally, McLaren found themselves spiraling into a PR nightmare with accusations of espionage threatening to tear the team apart from within. It also didn't help that McLaren's two drivers, two-time World Drivers' Championship Fernando Alonso and a rookie named
3: Lewis Hamilton, absolutely loathed each other. Hey, Fernando, did you hear about Mike? Pretty, pretty crazy, huh? Pretty crazy about Mike, huh? Who's Mike? Mike Coughlin. Oh. Pretty big news about Mike. I'm scary, huh? <laughs> Fernando Alonso was born in 1981, the same year as my sister, to a working-class family in Oviedo, Asturias, Northern Spain. His father was a mineshaft explosives factory worker, which sounds like a cartoon, and his mother was a department store employee. Fernando's father wanted a hobby to share with his children, and as an amateur go-kart driver, decided to build one for Fernando's older sister, Lorena. She was uninterested (laughs) and three-year-old Fernando received the cart after it was modified for his little body frame. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: I had no idea about this.
3: Although the family lacked the resources to develop him in carts, Fernando received a mandatory cart racing license at the age of five and quickly adapted to his financial limitations. For example, the family could not afford rain tires, so Fernando had to learn how to drive on a wet track with slick tires. Whoa and his mother sewed his racing overalls and adjusted them as he grew. <laughs> yeah. It would be argued that his humble beginnings helped Fernando develop his famously competitive attitude as the young driver performed with an intensity that assured he'd move up the social strata. Fernando garnered notoriety in the sport at the tender age of seven, and shortly thereafter, he acquired the attention and mentorship necessary to build progress in the field.
2: Uh, I'm sure like at this age, like... When a kid is showing up with, uh, you know, baggy overalls and beating the rich kids on slick tires in the rain, I bet, you know, some of the other racing dads were probably like, "This kid,
3: rah, yeah, so yeah. mad about this. How could this?" Yeah, happen? trying to like
1: trying to find a rule to disqualify him, kind of sh- <laughs> something yeah. like we that. Are yeah,
3: so mad about it. He, uh, and then some other guys are like, like a kind of like a salty mechanic type, but yeah, everyone's like, he's very fast. He used to be very fast. And the the salty mechanic type, he's just like,
1: I think the kid is pretty cool. And then his dad shows up to the track with like cartoon, like. Black <laughs> yeah, black yeah, explosion yeah, yeah, on yeah. his face. He's like, oh, Play there was the, an accident.
3: It was a tough day at the factory. <laughs> That's always like, yeah,
1: those
2: like just, just like striations yeah. on his face and like doggle out Yeah, his collar is like a
1: his collar is like a spent firecracker. Yeah, and like a blown up cigar.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very tough day making explosives. <laughs> By age (coughs) 17, Fernando made his car racing debut in the 1999 Euro Open with Campos Motorsport and won his title at the final race of the season with six wins and nine pole positions. He continued to clean up in the amateur circuit and eventually caught the attention of Renault manager Flavio Briatore, who hired him as a test driver in 2002, primarily to familiarize the young driver with the team. Fernando was promoted to the Renault race team in 2003 and went on to break the records of youngest driver to win a pole position at the Malaysian Grand Prix, as well as youngest Formula One race winner at the Hungarian Grand Prix later that year. He finished his first Formula One season in sixth for the World Drivers' Championship with 55 points and four podium finishes. Comparatively, his prime competitors, Michael Schumacher and Kimi Raikkonen, had placed 14th and 10th, respectively, in their own rookie Formula 1 seasons. Fernando's strong start guaranteed that he would be one to watch during the next season.
2: I mean, a 6th place rookie season start is very, very impressive.
1: Yeah, that's insane.
3: I know, I only got (laughs) 7... Fernando stayed with Renault from 2004 until 2006. In 2005, he beat out McLaren's Kimi Raikkonen for the World Championship and finished the season as the youngest world driver's champion in history with seven victories, six pole positions, and 14 podium finishes for a whopping 133 points. In 2006, he became the bookies' favorite to retain the championship, and the Spaniard did not disappoint. He won six of the first nine races and finished no lower than second throughout the season to lead the championship with 84 out of the possible 90 points. He and Ferrari driver Michael Schumacher entered the penultimate round in Japan tied on points, but Fernando eked out a win due to Schumacher retiring the race with engine failure. Fernando only needed to score a single point at the Brazilian Grand Prix, and uh, guess what? He freaking did it, becoming Formula <laughs> One's youngest two-time world champion in the process.
2: So, well, you know, going in the story, just for this context like Fernando is a hot rookie, you know? Like he's got the momentum. Yeah. Um just a star in the
3: making, you know? He's a super hot rookie and he's pretty good at driving too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a huge Fernando Alonso fan, right? I'm a pretty big fan. I didn't
2: know uh, his his younger background or his earlier background. I did know about this uh of course the uh the back to back championships. Um, yeah. I did make a video early on in Wheelhouse's history about how Fernando Alonso was the best driver on the grid that year. I think that was 2017. And he retired, right? He retired immediately after that season. <laughs> so and He didn't do that well
1: that season. No, he did not. I, so
2: I think I do want to revisit that video, uh, perhaps after this season or next season after, um, you know, because uh, he's, he's back. He's back. You with, should
1: do a Wheelhouse video, him. like the top tie top five times i was horribly wrong
2: <laughs> that's pretty good yeah
1: yeah i think i should
3: while in japan for the grand prix fernando met secretly with mclaren team owner ron dennis to discuss switching to the team for the 2007 season he's like if you want a spot on this
2: team you're gonna have to come over to my house and clean my driveway you're gonna have to <laughs> excavate all these rocks and clean them by hand
3: oh thank you It would be in your best interest to clean these rocks. (laughs) That actually
1: sounds bad. Yeah, it does sound like that. That sounds bad.
3: Clean Big Ron's rocks. Big Ron's known for three things. Fast cars, clean rocks, and flawless puns. The two agreed to a three-year contract to begin after Alonso's contract with Renault expired on New Year's Eve 2006. With both Kimi Raikkonen and Juan Pablo Montoya leaving the McLaren lineup for the 2007 season, Dennis, or Big Ronnie, now needed to find a sufficient second driver to complement his new star. He eventually landed on a gifted rookie, Lewis Hamilton. Going into the season, Fernando expected that his rookie teammate would be driving to prove himself. What Fernando didn't expect was that Lewis Hamilton is the greatest athlete of all time.
1: <laughs> there's a there's a funny story about um, Lewis Hamilton meeting Ron Dennis for the first time, like probably three years before he drove for McLaren. And he's just like a like a 14 year old or something, just carting. And he just like went up to Ron Dennis, all the other kids that in that were like really intimidated. And Lewis Hamilton just walked right up to him. And shook his hand and was like, I'm gonna be driving for you. And Ron Dennis like laughed it off, and then like three years later, for sure enough, he's driving for him.
3: Yeah, Ron Dennis apparently was like, I hope you know how <laughs> to gone. clean rocks, Louis. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like Alonzo, Lewis Hamilton was born in a working class family in Stevenage, Hertfordshire, England.
3: Stevenage, Hertfordshire. England <laughs> <laughs>
2: His parents separated when he was only two years old, after which he lived with his mother and older half-sisters until he was 12. Then he moved in with his father and stepmother and half-brother Nicholas, who also went on to become a professional race car driver. Lewis's dad bought him an RC car when he was five and a go-kart for Christmas when he was six. To support his son's blossoming karting career, his father became a contractor (coughs) and sometimes worked up to four odd jobs at a time while still attending all of his son's races. Lewis began karting in 1993, and as one might imagine, absolutely crushed the competition.
1: Absolutely. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. As one might imagine, absolutely, my mistake, crushed the competition. In 1995, at the age of 10, he became the youngest driver to win the British Cadet Karting Championship. That year, he approached Ron Dennis for an autograph and confidently stated, I'm Lewis Hamilton, i won the British Championship, and one day I want to be racing your cars.
1: Oh yeah, this is what I was talking about.
2: Yeah. Three years later, as you said, Joe, Dennis called Lewis to offer him a spot in the McLaren Driver Development Program, a spot that included the option of a future Formula One seat, if he was successful, that is. Lewis became the youngest driver to secure a contract that later resulted in a Formula One drive. At 15, Lewis became the European champion in karting with maximum points, and the British Racing Drivers Club made him a rising star member, which I guess was a designation for a kind of member. He began his proper car racing career in 2001 in the British Formula Renault Winter Series and finished fifth in the standings. So that's like just a smaller open wheel car. This led to a full 2002 Formula Renault UK campaign with Manor Motorsport in which he finished in 3rd place. The following year, he finally clinched his championship 2 races early and didn't compete in them. Instead, he made his debut in the season finale of the British Formula 3 Championship. So he's like That's sick. That's it. like
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's like when you're in high Whoa. school and you're like, "Peace, dudes, I got to go to college classes now." I never did that. I was never one of those kids, but I always th- like thought those kids were cool.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, I'm going to community college now. I take my classes at the at Quest. Yeah. yeah,
1: my fourth period is uh, across town, and you're like 16, and you're like, damn, that kid's cool.
2: I actually have to take the bus to take calculus right now. It's actually very inconvenient.
3: (laughs) Super inconvenient, but, you know, the math of this school was just too easy for me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I knew more than the teacher, so I'm taking my classes. There's uh,
3: There's not a teacher in this building that can teach me anything.
2: Uh, 2004, Lewis re-signed with McLaren and made his Formula 3 debut, finishing fifth in the championship. Remember, at 2004, this is when Fernando is now entering Formula 1. So Lewis is just a few years behind him. By 2006, he moved up again to a team called ART Grand Prix for the GP2 season and won the championship on his first attempt. Uh, so today, GP2 is now called Formula 2, just to make it simpler. But back then, it was called GP2. His success in the GP2 championship just so happened to coincide with the departures of Juan Pablo Montoya and Kimi Raikkonen from McLaren. Things are happening. Things are happening. Yes, Joe. After months of speculation over who would join defending champ Fernando Alonso as his number two, Lewis was confirmed as McLaren's second driver for the 2007 season. Let me just clarify real quick. So, Formula 1 teams, if you're not familiar, they have two drivers. You got your number one and your number two. Some teams do not have a number one and number two driver. Uh, they'll have equal stature. Um, and it's just like whoever's faster is faster, right? Uh, but some teams will have a defined number one and number two driver. The number one typically is like, like let's take Lewis Hamilton today, for example. He is undoubtedly Mercedes' number one driver. Yeah. He's faster. Valtteri Bottas, capable driver. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of wins under his belt. But Valtteri is there to give backup to Lewis, to give Lewis a buffer to the cars behind uh, yeah, the Yeah, and kind
1: of kind of pad those manufacturers points too.
2: Yes, yes. So that's and just the And the car set up
3: for number 1, right?
2: Uh typically, yeah, they'll cater they'll cater the cars to the number 1 driver's preference if that's how the team is set up.
3: Yeah, like, uh, like Red Bull Red does Bull. that,
1: but then they don't say they say it's not set up for Max, but then everyone who steps into that number two spot is like this car is hard to drive (laughs) and yeah
2: and then i mean we could get on a whole discussion about red bull uh yeah you know it's like like with mclaren for example with lando norris right now like lando's been with the team for a while now so it's more it's the car is more catered towards lando's style and that's why it's kind of taking daniel ricardo a few races to really get in the groove and i mean teams understand that as well uh zach brown Mm -hmm. is actually uh quoted as saying that like like he's told Daniel to relax it's just been a few races like he doesn't expect them he doesn't expect Daniel to be winning right away with a brand new car
3: right and so like the number 2 driver has to call the number 1 driver dad and yes. then the number 1 driver has to call the number 2 driver donkey my, my baby donkey yeah donkey. yeah
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks i i almost forgot thank you very much James yeah. for
3: uh, once the 2001 season started, it became immediately clear that Hamilton had some serious skills to pay the bills. Ooh, Yeah. During the very first Grand Prix in Australia, the young driver's intent for his season was clear from the start of the race as he zoomed past his teammate. In the end, Alonso placed second while Hamilton debuted on the podium in third. That's pretty good for your first race. Yes. In Malaysia, Alonso won with Hamilton once again placing just behind him in second place. Uh, in both Bahrain and Spain, Hamilton finished second ahead of Alonso and became the first rookie to finish on the podium in more than his first two outings.
2: So, coming out the gate, like Hamilton is like, hey man, I'm here.
3: Hello, world. It's me, Lewis Hamilton. I'm here. Yeah. And I'm at the end of the day, fast. at the
1: end of the day, I'm here to
3: race.
2: If I was Alonso, I probably would have expected, like, okay, like, here's this rookie on like a premier team i'm probably just like okay i bet he's just like happy to be here and i'm gonna i'm the two-time champ so this is gonna be easy uh and very quickly that is becoming not the
1: case
3: yeah didn't expect uh hamilton to be such a spicy chorizo
1: yeah he's a hamilton's uh, like
3: hot paella (laughs) <laughs> I, didn't,
1: I didn't work so hard to come in second, so I, I'm here to race. I have tremendous respect for Alonso, but at the end of the day, I'm here to race. I'm
3: here to win. Thank you. I'm here to win. Thank you. <laughs> Alonso got back into the winner's seat at Monaco, but again, Hamilton was close behind him. In the Rookies post-race comments, Hamilton implied that he'd been forced into a supporting role during the race, which the FIA subsequently had to investigate. McLaren denied favoriting Alonso, and the FAA agreed, stating McLaren were able to pursue an optimum team strategy because they had a substantial advantage over all the other cars. Nothing which could be described as interfering with the race results.
2: I think it should be mentioned here that the McLarens were uh, just like not to the same level of dominance as the Mercedes are today, but clearly the the car to have.
3: Hamilton won his first Formula One Grand Prix in the following race at the Canadian GP. The very next race in beautiful Indianapolis saw Hamilton <laughs> battle side by side with Alonzo, but eventually Hamilton eked out a win. After this performance, reports say that Alonso was frustrated that Hamilton was stealing his spotlight, but hey, Hammy don't care. He, 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 he was living the life he had always dreamed of, and a jealous teammate wasn't going to take that away from him. Hamilton had place on the podium for his first nine races and despite a frustrating performance at the European Grand Prix he was going into round 11 the Hungarian Grand Prix leading his teammate by two points. He was also up 6-4 on Alonso in qualifying. To say that Alonso was panicking is an understatement. At one point Alonso even quipped to the Spanish press I have a British teammate and a British team, and he's doing a great job. And we know that all the support is going to go to him. (laughs) (laughs) However, the most memorable flashpoint of the driver's relationship was about to occur during a qualifying session for the Hungarian Grand Prix.
1: That's such a lame excuse for losing. Is like, oh, my team is favoring my teammate. You're obviously the favorite yeah just own up to it
2: yeah i can't i i I don't buy i don't buy alonzo uh in this and you know he's clearly frustrated and emotional about it at this point in time but dude he's like a back-to-back champ and he was the number one driver you know you can't you gotta you gotta out drive you gotta out drive the you gotta be so good that you're undeniable you know
3: Mm -hmm. i mean isn't he like routinely kind of a baby Mm -hmm. he's emotional
2: he's you know he he speaks his mind he speaks his mind
3: like, uh, this the paella, this the paella stinks. <laughs> Why are there no
1: shells in it? There's no shells. The Everybody shells... knows that's where the flavor comes
3: from. All of the flavor that comes from is the bottom is barely even burnt. I'm going <laughs> to go eat a little tiny fish out of a can with a toothpick and drink orange wine.
2: <laughs> I do want that orange wine. Anyway.
3: Oh, I love orange wine.
2: Oh, that's right. You had some at your place and we, we drank some, James. <laughs> in yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. Got a little, <laughs> yeah, got mean, a little sauce,
3: dude. Got a little got a sauce. Little- then we freaking fought until we had to go to the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find
1: Big thanks to eBay for sponsoring this episode of Pass Gas. Passion, drive, patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. We're talking superchargers, turbos, exhaust kits, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for.
2: To understand the temper tantrums that are about to take place between two grown adults, it may help to acknowledge the convoluted and often frustratingly confusing Formula One regulations. Formula One is well known for the hyperspecific rules and regs set forth by their governing body, the FIA. In 2007, the fuel with which a driver started Q3, or the third session of qualifying, was the amount with which he would begin the race prior to the first refueling stop. Once qualifying had finished, the fuel replenished would be a predetermined amount based on the number of laps completed in Q3. Do they do this still? No, they don't do this okay. anymore.
1: This is really convoluted. Yes,
2: but very confusing. There were two tactics one could take to make the most of this rule. A driver could burn off as much fuel as possible in order to have the car at its minimum weight when fresh tires were fitted for the final qualifying lap. Or, if the driver were economical in the opening laps of Q3, that driver would have done the same number of laps, used less fuel than he was to be credited for in the end, and therefore would put more fuel in the tank and enjoy a longer and potentially stronger first phase of the race. So, yes, this rule is confusing, but I believe the FAA... Uh, did it so there would be some altering strategies during race day, you know, so you don't have everybody pitting at the same time. You have people maybe pitting sooner and some people pitting later. So it's less predictable. Makes sense. It's confusing, but I I get it. I get the reasoning. You know, it's a, it's a gamble, not a gamble, but you know, there's a lot of decisions you got to make. McLaren had a system in place to manipulate Formula One's somewhat egregious qualifying rules. One of their drivers would have the clear advantage of an extra lap's worth of fuel during qualifying at certain circuits, and the two would switch off whose turn that was. In other words, the drivers would trade off who would go full out and who had to ticket it easy. <laughs> On August 4th, 2007, the day of the Hungarian Grand Prix qualifying, it would be Alonso's turn to lead. Alonso would drive flat out, While Hamilton would save fuel by running slower during the first six laps of the qualifying session. This is so strange because like nowadays, like qualifying, like you can just, if you wanted to, a team could just go out for like three laps and come back in and that'd be their entire session. They didn't have to run the whole thing. You know, that's, this is so, this is so strange to me.
1: But you're different.
2: But I'm just built different, dude. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. So Hamilton would uh, drive slower during the first six laps. However, Hamilton quickly took to the front, and when it came time to let Alonso pass, he ignored his team, claiming that Alonso was too far behind and that he didn't want to let Ferrari's Kimi Raikkonen through as well. Alonso was furious, understandably. A little while later, it was time for McLaren's final Q3 pit stops. Hamilton was leading this stage of qualifying, so he's on pole, and the final laps were expected to be even quicker. McLaren chose to strategically stack both cars in the pits with Alonzo in front holding for 20 seconds and Hamilton behind. This was to give both their drivers as much track space as possible. You want as much clean air as possible in front of you. You don't want dirty air to hamper you in the turns. Sometimes it can be advantageous, but that's not what they determined. When the, lo- the lollipop was lifted for Alonzo with one minute and 48 seconds left in the session which was more than enough time for both drivers to complete their low-fuel laps. They calculated just right. This was perfect, down to the second, but Alonso didn't budge. Two seconds passed, five seconds passed, eight seconds, and finally, a full ten seconds. Alonso finally sped off, but his extended stop guaranteed that Hamilton wouldn't have enough time for his final flying lap. And Alonzo, he secured pole position by 0.107 seconds. Cue one of the most awkward post-qualifying press conferences of all time. Alonzo, still simmering with rage over Hamilton's initial audacity on the track, sat eating a peach with the kind of expression you'd expect from someone who just caught his wife with a peach salesman.
1: Oh, those dirty peach salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> Can't trust a peach salesman.
2: Before Hamilton arrived, it was revealed that the rookie had neglected to let Alonzo through, which is the first anyone outside of McLaren had heard of the strategy or Hamilton's, frankly, shitty sportsmanship. When Alonzo was asked about this incident, he simply gave a thumbs up and continued to stare straight ahead, just punishing that peach. <laughs> At first glance, Alonzo's choice to take his frustrations out on a peach is pretty bizarre, yet still places behind call-me-by-your-name-for-egregious-peach action. But there's more to this story. According to McLaren's former head of communications, one of team owner Ron Dennis's biggest pet peeves is when someone eats a juicy fruit without <laughs> a fork and knife. <laughs> Thus, it's expected that if you're in the presence of Ron, you are required to slice your stone fruits into small, neat pieces to enjoy them.
1: Of course, so when- it makes sense now. Stone fruits, Ron
3: Dennis, stones, Oh my rocks. God. I like my stones clean. I don't want you to have those sticky little hands. (laughs) Fernando.
2: (laughs) So when Fernando arrived with a massive juicy peach that outshone Rodol's wildest dreams, everyone on McLaren immediately recognized just how angry Fernando
1: Alonso was.
2: I cannot believe.
1: This is so funny. This is like great, great professional trolling. That's amazing uh side note we did james and the giant peach when i was in like fourth grade and my music class was providing the music for it uh-huh. and uh this was my first time where i like pitched something and it got a good response and i was like hey what if like when james jumps or like pops out of the giant peach i make this sound and i went <laughs> and <laughs> all my friends were like whoa <laughs> and so like in the production uh, they had the narrator up on the mic, and I was on xylophone, and I like had to wait for it, wait for it, and then like run over to the mic, do the sound, and then run and slide back on my like xylophone, and I felt so cool. That's very cute. I love that. <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Let's normalize saying that to guy <laughs> friends. Yeah, yeah.
3: Dude, That's dude. You, that is cute as hell, man.
1: Dude, no cap. That's honestly like one of the cutest things I ever heard. <laughs>
3: To
2: make matters worse, Ron Dennis was called before the race stewards just as Hamilton arrived at the briefing, or debriefing, rather. With the press officer on holiday and no team adjudicator present, the drivers essentially let their egos answer the increasingly intense questions about the incident. For example, when Hamilton was asked as to how long he missed out on setting a final quick lap, he tersely replied, quote,
3: About the same amount of time I spent in the pit stomp.
2: For his part, Alonzo claimed that McLaren had told him to hold those extra 10 seconds, a tactic they had implemented earlier in the session. Ooh. McLaren was asked by the race stewards to submit all their radio transmissions, which were rumored to contain a particularly expletive-laden dispute between Dennis and Alonzo, something both parties later denied. <clears throat> Initially, Dennis and McLaren shielded Alonzo in their response to the incident and placed the blame squarely on the team's pit strategy and Hamilton himself. The FIA didn't buy it. It took eight hours for the stewards to render their verdict. Alonso would be struck with a five-place grid penalty for unnecessarily impeding another driver. Ironically, this ruling pushed Hamilton from second position up to pole position. McLaren didn't come off scot-free either. The team was informed they would not receive any points for the Constructors' Championship in the Hungarian Grand Prix. According to the FIA, quote, the explanation given by the team as to why they kept Alonzo stationary for 20 seconds after completion of his tire change and therefore delayed Hamilton's own pit stop is not accepted. The actions of the team in the final minutes of qualifying are considered prejudicial to the interests of the competition. This can be summed up simply with McLaren, y'all are McLion. <laughs>
3: uh, slant,
1: slant rhyme, not perfect. <laughs> That's the kind of uh, lyrics that you could expect from a Hamilton uh, <laughs> Hamilton rap. I was gonna McLaren. diss your
2: I was gonna diss your improv troupe, but I can't remember the name. Oh, six o'clock hugs. Six o'clock hugs. Okay, <laughs> Mister Hugs. <laughs> A pre race statement released by McLaren read quote,
3: Every effort was made in qualifying by the team to maintain our policy of equality. However, in the heat of the battle, there are occasions when the competitive nature of drivers sees them deviate from the agreed procedures.
2: To the public, this seemed an admission of guilt on behalf of the unsportsmanlike behavior of both their star drivers. When race day came, Hamilton led every lap of the race to a solid victory. Alonso was only able to place 4th.
1: It's kind of cool that we're reading this and there's um qualifying going. Oh no, it's not. It's practice today, right?
2: Today is practice. Tomorrow's yeah. qualifying.
1: Yeah. For the Spanish GP and uh it's it's just still going on. Hamilton's probably dominating and Verstappen is probably in there.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's probably all there. the boys. <laughs> Alonzo. <laughs> Dude, all the boys are out just like racing. Um, yeah, actually, you're
2: correct. Uh Lewis Hamilton. This is a live reading of free practice two right now. Live, Lewis is uh, on top. Yeah. Uh Fernando Alonso in fifth. Oh, not Alpine. bad. Not bad. Not bad.
3: Still furious over the situation and the way that the team seemed to publicly drag his name through the mud, Alonzo told Ron Dennis that he had emails related to the Spygate standal. Ooh, damn. Dennis was horrified. Whether this was an attempt at blackmail or a way to secure his position as number one good boy driver for McLaren did not matter to Dennis. He reported the claims to FIA president Max Mosley and unintentionally opened McLaren up to even more investigations. Dude, Alonzo's a baby. Yeah, he's kind of a baby. When asked about his relationship with Alonzo during the FIA's subsequent hearing, Dennis quipped, The relationship between Fernando and myself is extremely cold. That is an understatement.
1: That's like the most British shade it gets.
3: Yeah, it's like also like saying a statement that you just said is an understatement. It's yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Like, well, why didn't you just state I could it
2: elaborate further, but I won't.
3: But I will. <laughs> <laughs> For the rest of the season, things were tense. At the following Grand Prix in Turkey, Hamilton placed fifth due to a tire failure that knocked him out of the third place spot, which allowed Alonso to take his spot on the podium. In Italy, Alonso again beat Hamilton with Raikkonen in third. It was after the Italian Grand Prix that the FIA announced their verdict on the McLaren Spygate debacle. Guilty. Ooh. It was determined that McLaren disseminated Ferrari's technical data. Their punishment? A fine of $100 million. <laughs> and even worse, elimination from the competition for the Constructors' Championship. Ouch.
1: We're just going to keep referencing Mike Myers movies until we get all of them. We'll get the love guru in there somewhere.
3: Don't get get out of my swamp. Don't get, I'm a love guru. (laughs) I love you, Fiona. I always have. I want to marry you. We used to shoot banter rats from our x wings all the time. (laughs) Don't (laughs) get We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
4: The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right.
3: Although McLaren couldn't clinch the Constructors' Championship, they still wanted a Drivers' Champion. Alonso had driven well all season, but for fairly obvious reasons, McLaren began to visibly favor the British rookie. Ron Dennis himself admitted that McLaren was racing against Alonso. <laughs> Incidentally, 2007 was the first year since 1986 that three drivers had a chance of becoming world champion at the season finale in Brazil, These three drivers were Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, and Kimi Raikkonen. In order to ensure that there wasn't any funny business from McLaren, Alonso asked someone from the FIA to inspect this car before the race, which goes to show just how fraught the relationship with the team had become.
1: A narking on your own team? Yeah.
3: Entering the final race in Brazil, Hamilton was deemed the favorite to win with 107 points, followed by Alonso with 103, and Raikkonen with 100. Hamilton started second but dropped to the back after a frustrating gearbox problem. He recovered his seventh with a final standing of 109 points. Alonso drove well but not well enough. He placed in third place with 109 points. Both McLaren's drivers had finished their tumultuous season tied and a single point shy of the driver's championship. The kicker, Kimi Raikkonen, became the first driver since 1950 to begin the final race in third and end it as a world champion.
2: Wow,
1: wow, that is, uh, that's like the closest has been
2: yep, in since. A, y- I don't think there's been another yeah. season like that.
3: It should be. It should come as no surprise that just a month after the final race of the season, Alonso and McLaren mutually severed their three-year contract. Around that same time, Hamilton signed a multi-million-pound contract to stay with the team until 2012.
1: McLaren has uh, ties with Mercedes, right? Yes. Yes. I just. I, was wondering how like Hamilton got from McLaren to Mercedes.
2: Well, uh, Mercedes had their own team. They started up, so there was McLaren Mercedes, which Hamilton was on. Yeah, and then uh, Mercedes had their own team. Michael Schumacher drove for them for a little while. He was like their star uh, driver, and then
1: and that's not the Petronas team.
2: That's what the Petronas team is today. Okay, so Hamilton jumped ship from McLaren. Uh, from from McLaren-Mercedes to Mercedes proper, and that's where he's been ever since. And McLaren-Mercedes turned back into Ma- just McLaren proper.
1: Cool. Yeah.
2: Where are they now? Well, Alonso returned to Renault for the 2008 season, whom he stayed with until Ferrari came knocking in 2010. Although he stayed with Ferrari until 2014, he ultimately left due to severe disagreements with team principal Marco Mattiacci as well as his belief that Ferrari wasn't capable of constructing a title-winning car, and he was right. At that time, Ferrari kind of sucked. Who did he leave Ferrari for in 2015 then? Well, none other than McLaren. Claiming that he and Dennis had patched up their differences, Fernando stayed with McLaren from 2015 until his quote-unquote retirement in 2018 due to his frustrations with the system He believed that there's a lack of on-track racing and predictable results and felt that discussions about racing focused too heavily on radio transmissions and vitriol. However, Fernando returned to the sport this year with the newly rebranded Alpina, formerly known as Renault, the team that he won those two championships with earlier in the story. You know, I feel like it's kind of a cop-out to say that he's leaving due to, you know, uh, predictable results and lack of on-track racing, but I think there... I mean, that, that was kind of valid, especially with the cars were making so much downforce that it was really hard to follow them in the turns. So that's, that's been a problem they've been trying to solve for years now. But he does have a point about, uh, you know, discussion being focused too heavily on radio transmissions. There was a season, I think five years ago now at least, where the teams could not give the drivers tips on how to drive the car. What? Yeah. It was very strange. So they had to use very cryptic language. Like they couldn't even be they couldn't even use code words on like, hey, you should like try breaking a little harder here or whatnot. They couldn't do that. So yeah. it was very strange. Especially since radio broadcasts, radio transmissions are such a huge part of the race broadcasts now. If you're a fan of Formula One, it's likely that you're very familiar with Sir Lewis Hamilton's career trajectory. That's right. This man is a knight. Lewis finished up his maiden Formula One season as a runner up the 2007 World Drivers Championship, set multiple records that year, including most consecutive podium finishes from debut with nine, the most joint wins in a debut season, and the most points in a debut season with 109. He won his first championship the following year with McLaren and stayed on with the team until 2013, where he signed to Mercedes. At the time of this recording, Hamilton has won a joint record seven Drivers' World Championship titles. And holds the outright record for most wins with 97, most pole positions with 99, and most podium finishes, amongst many others. Uh, we are recording this on a Friday before the Spanish Grand Prix, so it's likely that these numbers will be different when you hear this.
1: Yeah, I bet he's going to hit 100 pole positions. That's my prediction.
2: I, I hope so. Uh, you know, uh, I, I came into the sport. I came in watching the sport in 2014 when the hybrid era started and Mercedes dominance really started. You know, for a while, I was like, man, this is like so boring. Hamilton, Hamilton wins all the time. Like, this sucks. I hate this guy. But like in the past two (laughs) years, I've like really come around on him.
1: He's really just a genuinely cool dude. He's a cool
2: dude. He's a good guy. But also, it's just like, why would you be mad about witnessing the goat in (laughs) action? You know, people are going to be looking back on this in like 15 years with like such reverence. So let's enjoy it now while we're still here to witness something like this.
1: I mean, I the only thing I can think of is like people kind of hated the Golden State Warriors when they were winning a ton, but I feel like that's because they're kind of like a lot of their players are like villainish, you know?
2: Yeah. Uh, so when asked about the explosive relationship between the two drivers in 2007, Ron Dennis put it very plainly, quote,
3: Alonzo didn't expect Hamilton to be that competitive in his first year. He told me at the beginning that it was my decision to sign a rookie like Hamilton, but that it could cost me the Constructors' Championship. Fernando was calculating everything, but not that Lewis would challenge him. That, my boy, affected him massively.
2: Whoa, my guy, he's he's a grappling hook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Although both Fernando and Lewis have been asked about the feud multiple times over the years, both drivers make a point to mention that they have a great deal of respect for one another. 2016, Alonso stated, quote, if I was teammate of Lewis one day, I think I'd be very different because we have learned and we are very different people. We no longer have that, let's say, that stress of winning on the side because I think we respect each other a lot.
3: And then Hamilton says, I respect the crap out of him. I think he's great. Just got a crap load of respect for him and um uh yeah it's like just a crap load of respect basically
1: i think he's got i think he's got the stones of a champion
3: he's got you know he's got great stones <laughs> and uh just a crap load of respect respect the crap out of him there is much to take away from this story most obviously f1 drivers are f1 drivers partially due to their massive egos to hurdle yourself around a track at breakneck speeds, fully expecting a collision, that takes a certain kind of personality. The feud between Alonzo and Hamilton wasn't so much unexpected as just got out of control in a very public way. But the fact that these two drivers clashed makes quite a bit of sense. Both Alonzo and Hamilton came from working class backgrounds, and they had to struggle to gain their notoriety. They weren't born into racing families or the sons of billionaires. Their parents were only millionaires that's not true no Alonso earned everything through his own skills and determination similarly hamilton may be the top dog now but considering that he is the only black driver in f1 ever the man has had to overcome not only the limitations of his social class but of systemic institutional racism as well of course they didn't like one another alonzo wanted to maintain his dominance and hamilton wanted to prove he deserved the position he was given mclaren and rod dennis didn't stand a chance at containing that kind of energy and isn't it fun to think that no matter what either driver does no matter how much they achieve that a reporter will always ask them about the petty temper tantrum they each threw in 2007
2: yeah it's kind of messed up because you know when you do the math and look back on it at the time you know 2007 Fernando Alonso was 26 years old still young and lewis was even younger at 22 like you're just going to get that you know yeah yeah two drivers very similar in age that's just going to happen when they're both fighting for that title shot
1: and it's it's crazy to watch uh when you hear f1 reporters ask questions you're like that's a f-ing dick question to ask like <laughs> but you realize that they're trying to get like emotion out of these people that are trained to not show emotion yeah. <laughs> in interviews it's it's funny I don't know, I think uh,
2: just looking back, I think we can uh, look at this time uh, as just a fun story. <laughs> and yeah, not, what were like, you
1: guys doing in 2007? Who was your biggest rival in 2007? Um, probably the birthday boys. <laughs> or,
2: or, <laughs>
3: or Hendershaw.
2: I was 14, so I think my rival was puberty. Oh, oh nice. Damn,
1: your own hormones. Do you remember your first armpit hair?
2: Uh, I think I got that in like eighth grade. <sighs> Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> all right.
4: So.
3: Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah. If you like this, go ahead and follow us uh, wherever you're streaming this. Follow Nolan at Nolan J. Sykes on all social media. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Follow Donut at Donut Media and me at James Pumphrey.
2: Hey, we have an email address now. It's pastgas at donutmedia.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your Send light. us your stones Don't send us your stones <laughs> Yeah send us a stone Send Nolan pictures of your stone Please dude I will not be looking at those
1: Look if you want you could just paint a little stone And send it to us and we'll Put it in our
3: office That we will do You Please do that Send Nolan pictures of your stone <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks for listening I love you Yeah fire it up be kind. See you next time. toot, <laughs> toot.
4: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move.